wide and you open it quickly and you run through that door. You carpe diem. You seize the day. Now that might be something as simple as a car, you know, your, or a new tractor or a boat or my parents' car that was stolen, right? It was, there was an opportunity that was presented and somebody took it and said, I can't pass this up. I'm going to take it. You know, a guy in Davenport uh, some years ago took advantage of an opportunity that was knocking loudly for him. He's trying to get from the town of Davenport to a town called Moses Lake. And I, I, I think it's between 60 and 100 miles away. And he's going around and it's like an it's a it's a cold morning the windows are frosted on all the cars he, he's trying to get from point a to point b and he's saying please give me a ride home and as he's walking along the highway past my parents house he sees a car that's running and nobody's in it so guess what he did he hopped in the car and he drove down the highway and he hopped the freeway and he went home and he left the car in Moses Lake and then from there he went home. He took advantage of that opportunity. I don't think this guy ever got caught. They knew exactly who it was because he'd been trying to get a ride. But the, door, the, the, the opportunity was knocking. All he had to do was hop in the car and leave, right? So he took advantage of that. Uh, I think about our vacation. Caleb and I, well, we're, we're at the lake, all four of us, and we see this parasailing over we're on the dock and we see this is something that's pretty wild to do and, and we thought well we're gonna give this a try and we seized the day and the next day we, we went back but we didn't go do it again Leslie and Noah didn't take that opportunity and we, but we were able to experience something cool that I would recommend to anybody and get the little video camera and say a bunch of goofy things like I did and seize the opportunity and, and those kinds of things come along throughout our weeks, throughout the days. A new car, a new boat, a new experience. But God brings along opportunities for us as well. And what are we going to do when the doors, when the opportunity is knocking? Are we going to say, okay, God, this is what you want me to do. I'm going to rip the door open and go and do and say what you're asking me to do. Or are you going to leave the door shut and say, I don't think I heard that. I don't think I want to open that door until Jesus has safely moved on and there's no door there anymore. Well, Paul was one of those guys who, when the opportunity was knocking, he wasn't saying, okay, I didn't hear that. He says, I'm going to go for it. Whatever it is that God is asking me to do, I'm going to do. And today we're going to look at at least three times where the opportunity was there and Paul just leaped at it. He took it and he went with it to do or to say what it was that God had called him to do. And Paul is going to be talking to some big, heavy hitters. It's not just small, little peasant people. He's going to be talking to high political people, and he doesn't let that deter him. He says, the opportunity is here. I'm going to do or to say what isn't popular, because that's the opportunity that God gave me. I'm going to carpe diem. I'm going to seize the day. So opportunity one, that's right. It says chapter 24, verses 1 through 27. So if you get your Bibles out... I'm not going to read that. Okay, we'd all fall asleep if I did that. But we're going to be looking at various verses through the next three chapters uh, throughout the rest of our time together. But opportunity one shows up in these 27 verses as he's before Governor Felix. Now, I want to go back last week a little bit. Uh, how did Paul get before Governor Felix? Because Paul's been a free man. He's been going from place to place sharing Jesus. 
Well, last week, uh, we, we found out that he was arrested, or, or a couple weeks ago, he was arrested, and he has a nephew who overhears the plot to take Paul's life, and he goes and tells Paul, and then Paul says, go tell the centurion, go tell those high military people, and they, through the night, whisked Paul away on his red-eye midnight flight down to Caesarea, and so to hold him there, so that he could have his trial there, and so he's there waiting to, to take advantage of the opportunity that he has to try to defend himself. And, and first of all, just very quickly, I want to touch on uh, the accusation and Paul's answer, but then when I, there's really a bigger chunk that I want to focus on. This is that is the opportunity that Paul took advantage of. So first of all, you have the accusation. Uh, Paul is standing before uh, Governor uh, Felix and a guy by the name of Tertullius, verse 2, presents his case before Felix. And after he sucks up to him for a while and talks about how awesome, how special you are, Felix, he gets down to the nitty-gritty in verse 5. It says, we have found this man to be a troublemaker. He's stirring up the riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against them. And it says, the Jews joined in the accusations, asserting that these things were true. All these people are lined up to say, Paul is guilty of this and this and this. Well, Paul, he gets his answer to defend himself and he says in verses 17 through 21 he pretty much is saying that I, I, I didn't do what they are accusing me of doing he says actually I haven't even been around Jerusalem I just showed up in verse 17 he says after an absence of several years I came to Jerusalem I brought gifts for the poor and I presented offerings verse 18 I was ceremonially clean yes I went to the temple but I didn't do what they said I was going to do he said if I did there should be because uh, he was accused of, like I said, he was accused of being a troublemaker, of stirring up trials of issues all over the place. He said, if I did those things, there should be people from all over Asia here who are approving this fact. But nobody's here. He says, this was brought up at my last trial, and, and no, you weren't able to substantiate all these charges against me. I didn't do what they are accusing me of doing. But here's the cool thing. In the midst of saying, I didn't do what they said me to, that, I, that I did, Paul brings up a very important opportunity. He says in verses 14 through 16, However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers, fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and the, that is written in the prophets. And have the same hope in God as these men, that there is a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive to keep my conscience clear before God. And Paul brings this up for a couple of different reasons. You know, because easily Paul could have just went on this huge rabbit trail about how unfair it was that he was even put in prison in the first place. And how it was unjust and how it was not okay. And he could have ranted and raved and went that avenue. And he touches on that and says, you know what, this really didn't happen. And I really, I didn't do that. But here is what I believe. This is what I, this is what I do. What I did do. And he says, I'm a follower 
follower of the way. When you see that way, capital, uh, that is Jesus. Uh, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So he says, I am a follower of Jesus. He's taking bold steps to say, what is not going to be popular? Now, for the Romans, there are people who say, I really don't want to deal with your, your religious issues. You know, we think about when Jesus, when, when the, the, the Jews wanted to put Jesus to death, they brought him before Pilate, and Pilate's like, wait a second, I'm not interested. You guys go judge him by your own religious rules and laws. And they said, well, we can't put him to death, so would you please do it? But the Romans, they don't, they're not familiar with the laws uh, or the religion of the Jews. They don't want any part of this. So Paul is saying, first of all, that this is what the issue is. This isn't a right and wrong issue. This is a religious issue, and this is the problem that people have, is that I am a follower of the way. But the second thing that, about this, and this is the thing that probably uh, is a, the bigger thing, is Paul is planting seeds. He's planting seeds into the mind of Felix that I am a follower of the way. We read in uh, 24 verse 22 that Felix was well acquainted with the way. He was well acquainted with Jesus or the teachings about Jesus. But I don't know if Paul knows that. I don't know if he's building on what he thinks Felix already knows. But I do know that he is planting seeds. And this is going to prove valuable in just a couple of minutes. He's saying, I am a follower of the way. Because Paul's whole goal is to seize the day, to, to to make create the opportunity to bring up Jesus. He's not there to defend himself. He's taken the opportunity to make the name of Jesus known. And that's very key. That's very important because that was Paul's goal. He's not worried about himself. He's Yes, he's not getting treated fairly, but he's trying to always push Jesus forward. And he talks about in verses uh, 15 that I the hope of the same as these men is the resurrection of the dead. He's trying to paint a picture that there is more to life than just this. Something is going to happen. You know, some people like the Sadducees, they believe that once you died, you were done. Well, in some ways, that would be nice. I could live my life. I could do whatever I want. And then I have no accountability for it. If I get caught and go to jail, if I, if I pay the consequences, I do. But if I don't, I get away scot-free. And Paul is trying to plant seeds. There is the way. There's this message about Jesus. There's more to what this life is than what when you when your last you give your last breath. There's more to come. And Paul was faithful to this opportunity before Felix and a bunch of people. It didn't get him anywhere, right? All it does is Felix says, "Okay." Uh, I'm going to, verse 22, he says, I'm well acquainted with the way. He says, I will decide your case later. He ordered the centurion keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and to permit his friends to take care of him. Paul gave his defense. It got him nowhere. But thankfully, Paul took advantage of this opportunity to point to Jesus. And through this, Paul gets more opportunities. Felix, it says in verses 24 to 26, has... Uh, has Paul come to him over and over again, several different times to have more conversations? And it doesn't say specifically why. It doesn't say because Drusilla wanted it. But I think Felix is, is curious about what, who Paul is and what he's, he's saying. And Paul takes the advantage of saying some difficult things to hear. Okay, it says, uh, first of all, he says, 
Let me read verse 24. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about his faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is sharing this message about Jesus. He does it in a public sense. He does it in a private, one-on-two type situation. And I'm sure he's telling them, this is the faith that I have. This is the faith that you need. This is why you need this faith. But also, he gets into some other topics. First of all, it says he's talking about righteousness. And it, it doesn't say uh, there's what, what he talked about with righteousness, but Paul's talked about righteousness in the scriptures. It says in Romans 3.10, the words that Paul wrote, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. That might have been exactly what Paul told Felix. Hey, you're in this high position, but you're not righteous, Felix. Here's why you need the gospel is because you are a sinner. He could have said, the next thing he talked about was self-control. He could have said what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. That no temptation is seized you except what is common to man. Now we're going to find in just a minute here, Felix was a guy who faced temptation. And Felix was a, uh, was a guy who gave in to temptation. You know, he didn't care about what was right and wrong. He didn't. He really had kind of a, a, an immediate way out. When he, he had a brother that was in the, the uh, judge-type situation where, yes, Felix would get caught. He would get on trial, but he would get let off easy. And so he just had this freedom to do whatever his desire was. And he showed no self-control. Even his wife, Drusilla, should not have been his wife. Drusilla was already pledged to be married, or she was already married, depending on the sources that I'm looking at. Should never have been Felix's wife, but he seduced her away from her husband, and she married him. So here's a guy who's showing no self-control. He's showing no righteous character. And Paul is discussing these things, and it says he's talking about the judgment to come. That's exactly what Felix needs to hear right now. You're not righteous. You're not showing self-control. And there's going to be hell to pay. You're going to have to deal with the result of this at some point in your life. In Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it says, God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good uh, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. If you put your faith in Jesus, doing what God has asked you to do, it is going to go well with you. Felix, you're, those, you're the guy who's self-seeking. You're rejecting the truth. You're following evil, and there's going to be wrath and anger. How easy do you think that was for Paul to say to Felix? Sharing verses like this, you know, here's the one guy who could get me out of jail. Felix knows that Paul shouldn't be in jail. That's why he's letting his friends take care of him. That's why it says in verse 27 that he left him in jail to keep the Jews happy because he knows he shouldn't be there. But Paul says, the carpe diem, I'm going to seize the day. The door is there to speak the truth that this guy needs to hear. And so he does it. Come hell or high water, he is going to tell this guy what he he needs to hear. For two years he does this. Over and over again he keeps getting brought before this guy and he doesn't, doesn't change his tactic. He doesn't start to say what Felix needs to, wants to hear so that he can be released. He keeps telling him the truth, the hard truth, because this is what Felix wants to know. So his first opportunity was before Governor Felix. 
His second opportunity was before Governor Festus, the guy who takes the place of Felix after he is relieved of his duties. We find this in the first part of this in chapter 25, verses 1 through 12. And this story starts out very similar to something Paul has already gone through. Uh, last week, we looked at how 40 guys had said, you know, if you can get Paul out of the barracks, if you can get him brought before the Sanhedrin, we'll take it from there. We're not going to eat or drink until this guy is dead. Well, in, in a similar situation, they said, if you get this guy from Caesarea up to Jerusalem, somewhere in that in-between time, we are going to end Paul's life and put an end to this. And, and Festus seems to have a, a wise mind about this. says, you know what? I'm going to go to Caesarea myself. Why don't you guys come there? And we'll talk about it there. And, and so... Uh, that's, that's what, what Festus sees. That's what he decides that they're going to do. And through all this, Paul gets another opportunity to talk to the people. It doesn't record what did Paul say. The, the, the Jews come to Caesarea. They give their defense. Paul gives his answer. And once again, Paul's getting nowhere. And so Paul sees the writing on the wall. He says, I'm going to take an opportunity, uh, advantage of another opportunity. It says in verse 10 through 12 that he appealed to Caesar. Okay, so let me read that, please. Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I've not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourselves know very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to sit hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, you appeal to Caesar? To Caesar you will go. And I, I had to look this up. I had no idea. Why is he appealing to Caesar? Well, if you were a Roman and you did not feel like in a different court of law you were getting a fair shake, depending on what crime you were caught doing, you could appeal to Caesar and go to Rome and have a trial there. And so that's what Paul does. He's taking advantage of an opportunity Opportunity to get out of Caesarea to go all the way to Rome to finally have his court dealt with. But he, he for two years, he took opportunity to keep speaking truth and up other people's lives. Uh, that was very quick. Opportunity number one, talking to, to Fe, uh, Felix. Opportunity number two was to get out of Caesarea after talking to Festus because he realizes he's not going to get anywhere. Opportunity number three is actually still in Caesarea. Okay, here's there's the map. Here is where Paul is at. This is where they want him to go. And next week we're going to be following this blue line all the way here as Paul finally gets up to Rome. This is where he's appealing to go all the way over there from where he's at. But between the point of, of finally appealing to Caesar, saying, I'm not getting anywhere, and actually leaving to go to Rome, King Agrippa and his wife come to Caesarea to visit and to pay their respects uh, to Festus. And this is where Paul takes advantage of another opportunity to speak truth into people's lives. And, and so, okay, so before that point, let me back up here a little bit. Before the point of Paul giving his defense, uh, Agrippa and Bernice want to talk to Paul. Uh, Festus has explained to, is explaining to them that this guy, Jesus, was here when I already got here. Okay, so I just got here. Festus just got into his position. 
Jesus or Paul was already here. And then they said, he goes verses uh, 15. Of the next couple of verses, he starts to explain this is the process of Paul getting to jail here. He says, um, I have no idea what to do with this guy. I, I'm not their religious leader. I don't know the things that they are trying, they're accusing him of. And I'm kind of at a loss. All I know is that he's appealed to Caesar. So here you have Festus who's kind of priming the pump. He's kind of creating this interest for Paul. And Paul doesn't even know it. And he's going to get this golden door opportunity. Which, you know, it makes me think on the spur of the moment that, you know, God's going to set you up at times for a golden opportunity. He's going to prime the pump through situations of what people are going through and he's going to, to line it up perfectly for you to do and to say something but is that where you're going to take advantage of that opportunity to speak that truth that God has just created for you or are you not going to? That door was opened wide for Paul and Paul is going to take advantage of it. So who is it that he's talking to? Well, in verse 23, it says, The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. Here you have the king and his wife in purple, and they have their crowns on their heads, and they're coming in, strutting their stuff, like, hey, we are important people. And, oh, we brought our military presence with us. And we have the leading men of the city. Every high-ranking person that you can think of, the president, the vice president, the cabinet, all those people are with them. Now think about Paul. He's already gone through this kind of stuff over and over again. So put yourself in Paul's shoes. Do you, if, if you're Paul, do you think this is really going to matter? I've already talked to two governors. What difference is it going to make to talk to this king? Yes, there's all these people. You know, if you're in Paul's shoes, do you want to pull your hair out? Do you want to scream and beg for justice and for mercy? What, what is it that you how, how are you going to want to respond? Are you going to just clam up and never say anything because it's not going to matter anyway? Well, Paul's not that guy. Paul's the guy who says, okay, God, I'm going at this again. The, the opportunity is there. There are more people who need to hear something. I'm going to say it one more time. And if I'm Paul, I'm going back to the beginning saying, here I was in Jerusalem. I was at the, the temple. I was doing a, minding my own business and all of a sudden I'm getting falsely accused and people are trying to put me to death. I'm getting hauled off. It's been two years in jail where I shouldn't be. Poor me. Here's my story if I'm Paul. Paul does not do that. He might refer to that a little bit, but his whole message is an opportunity to say so much more. He's taken the opportunity to bring up Jesus. He's taken the opportunity to promote Jesus. And I, I, had this, I had this experience this morning with Bruce. He doesn't know it. He doesn't know it. But, but Bruce, and I should be saying this later, but Bruce spoke truth into my life this morning. Because he took the advantage of the opportunity. We were talking about jail ministry and how he used to do jail ministry. And I used to do with kid ministry. And then when it came to adults, I was scared to death. I never did it. I, I had one opportunity where I was going to go do this. And it didn't work out, thankfully. And, and Bruce was speaking truth into my life about trusting the Lord. About going in the Lord's strength and not my own strength. So when you speak bringing up Jesus, it's not just bringing up Jesus to an unsaved person. You can bring up Jesus to me. I can bring up Jesus to you. God's word is beneficial for us as well. We don't have to be afraid of like being a holier roller or holier than now by 
saying, you know what? Instead of worrying, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Instead of stress, instead of handling the situation that way, let's go and see what God has to say. God's word is beneficial for us in, in today's world in this church. Okay, so Bruce did that for me this morning. Paul is one of those guys who's going to bring up Jesus to people who are unsaved. And he starts out with, this is what I was. This is kind of off topic, in my opinion. You're not defending yourself. Paul's going a completely different direction. He says, this is what I was. Let me read verses 4 through 5. He says, the Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that according to the strictest sect of, the, of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. He says, these guys knew me back when I was in Tarshish. I didn't even know that until reading this. That I thought all of a sudden he just went from Tarshish to Jerusalem, and that's where history about him began. But he says, they knew me back in Tarshish. They've known me my whole life. Right? They've, they've seen me grow up. They've seen me be that kind of person. And he says, uh, verse 9, I was convinced like they were that I should do everything that I could do to oppose the name of Jesus. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On authority of the chief priest, I put many of the saints in prison and that when they were put and they were put to death. I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and I tried to force them to blaspheme. Uh, and in my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. He says, I was a bad dude. I opposed the name of Jesus. Anywhere that was showing up, that little fire, I was trying to stomp that thing out. I put people in prison. And when they're trying to decide what to do with these people, and someone said, we should put them to death, I cast my vote right with them and said, yes, these people should die. I traveled around from place to place and even to places like synagogue. Now, what's that have to do with his opportunity to defend himself? Nothing, right? He can get to that point, but he, he doesn't even go that direction. He says, I want to take advantage of this opportunity to bring up the name of Jesus. And he says, I changed. I am a different man from what they knew me as. Verses 12 through 15. He says, on one of these journeys, as I was going up to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest, about noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and as I heard the voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Jesus, or Paul had this encounter with Jesus. He says, that's what made me different. Right? We discussed this encounter with Jesus. He heard his voice that he could understand that nobody else could understand. We see in uh, Galatians 1.12 that he had a vision from God or from Jesus. So he's getting to know Jesus through this. But this is what is changing his life. It's this encounter with Jesus. And he says, I am not what I used to be. Here's the difference. And I'm telling you everything that I can about this. Uh, maybe it's just a little side note, but he says, Jesus told him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. I had no idea what a goad was. Uh, and, and, and looking around, I found that, you know, when you had oxen, you hook them up to a cart, an oxen isn't going to like that. It's going to try to kick its way out of everything. So in order to deter that, they would take their sharp stick and set it behind the heel of this 
calf or this ox so that when he kicked it, he would hit himself in the ankle. It would start to bleed and say, ow, that hurts. I'm not doing that anymore. And that's pretty much what God is telling or what Jesus is telling Paul. Give up. Quit fighting me. You're not going to win. Come to the, the, the good side, right? Get off the dark side. Come to the, the, the right side. Because this is, this is a, a losing battle. And Paul jumped in wholeheartedly to what, what God had, had called him to do. So he says, this is what I was. This is why I'm different. And says, this is what I was called to do. It says in verse chapter 26, verses 17b and 18. It says, I am, this is what Jesus told him. I am sending you... I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul was called to go and preach the gospel. He loved to go talk to the Gentiles. He did that over and over. We'll see that in a couple weeks when we finish up the book of Acts. But he, he went and he says uh, that he has a clear conscience about about this, that he he did everything that he was called to do. It says he was not disobedient. Verse 19, I wasn't disobedient to the vision from heaven. He says, I went where I was supposed to go. Verse 23 says uh, that with the message that he was preaching was that Christ would suffer and the first he rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. He's not defending himself. He's pointing people to Jesus over and over again. That is his whole purpose and his whole goal. Now, if we read the rest of this, which I'm not going to read, I'm just going to let you know that it didn't really turn out. Right? Uh, King Agrippa heard this, and he's like, wow, that's interesting. Do you think you're, I'm going to become a Christian in such a short time? And he leaves. He doesn't get saved. He doesn't say, wow, thanks for this testimony, Paul. I can't believe you were what they are, and, and now you're something different. He didn't. His life didn't change. Uh, but Paul doesn't have to worry about the results. Everything that you do and everything that you say that God's asked you to do, you just be faithful to the, the opportunity and leave the results up to God. So we know what it's like to go uh, we know what it's like to go take advantage of an opportunity to buy a car or to go parasailing. But you know what opportunities are right there? Opportunities are just opportunities. They only matter if you do something with them. You can tell me, I had the opportunity to go to the moon. Guess how impressed I am. If you didn't go, I'm not impressed. <laughs> I had the opportunity for a once-in-a-lifetime vacation to the Bahamas. If you didn't take it, I don't care. I'm not impressed. Right? Opportunities are there, but they only matter if you do something with them. You could have an opportunity to speak to thousands and thousands of people about Jesus, but if you didn't take it, it doesn't matter. Opportunities. You got to know they can show up unexpectedly. Anywhere. Any place. Anytime. I think about kids at school. In a locker room. You know, a lot of, a lot of tough, mean things happen in a locker room. Kids get tough. They, they push and they, they talk big. But you know what? God can bring an opportunity in a locker room where that toughest kid comes and talks to you and, and asks questions. Like, I, I'm struggling with this part of my life. And you can say, well, I don't really know. Or go talk to a 
teacher or or you can say you know what Jesus is the answer really Jesus is the answer for whatever it is that you're going through somehow Jesus and his God's word is the answer but are you going to take advantage of that opportunity it might show up with somebody on their deathbed somebody in the hospital unexpectedly is there and you just have moments with them you could, you could, you know, somebody could be saying, man, I, I'm scared to die. I, I hope I go to heaven. I, I hope I, I did the right thing. I hope God lets me in. You could say, you know what, John? I think you're okay. You know what? You're a good person and everybody likes you and I'm sure Jesus is going to let you into heaven. Or you can say, you know what, John? Did you accept Jesus as your Savior? Because if you didn't, you're going to hell. Right? You don't have to say it quite that abruptly. <laughs> but you can point out that truth. It can show up anywhere you're expecting or not expecting it. The thing is, when it's knocking, are you paying attention? And when the door is there, are you going to take advantage of it? The Bible tells us to make the most of the opportunities that God gives us. Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16. I'll just read verse 16. Make the most of every opportunity. You know, sometimes opportunities are once in a lifetime. Our parasailing experience that we had wasn't once in a lifetime, but for me it pretty much is. I don't think I'm ever going to go back to Coeur d'Alene and do that. So, but I took advantage of it. A lot of opportunities that Jesus brings us are once in a lifetime opportunities and that door is only there open for just a moment it's so easy to say I don't know what to say I'll admit that I don't know what to say if I say that what am I going to say next when they don't like it if I go there how's that going to, to turn out and I'm like I just would like to think through all this first and you can't the door is there you got to just open it and go for it and hope you know trust that God's going to help you with it you've got to make the most of it you make the most of every opportunity by the by the things that you do. Uh, therefore, as we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially to those in the family of Christ, of the family of believers. You think about all the people who are usually here on a Sunday morning, or even just look around and say, hey, who's here with me today? And you say, these are people that I need to be doing good for. I'm, I'm taking the opportunity when I see Jason, or Jason sees me, or I see Darren, or Darren sees Dana, you know, and say, hey, we are believers. I'm going to take advantage of this God-created opportunity to help them. Also the outside world, but especially of us brothers and sisters in Christ. Like I said with, with Bruce, it doesn't have to just be the unsaved world out there. It can be us inside here. But also by the, by the words that we say. It says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. But in verse 6, it says, let your conversation, let the things that you are saying always be full of grace. Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer anyone or everyone. Seasoned with salt, let them be good words let them be pure words not ga gossip not slander not backbiting uh, good things that come out of my mouth take advantage of the opportunity to encourage to pray for to bless somebody in first peter 3 15 this is always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have Always, God's going to create opportunities. They're going to come along, taking advantage of that opportunity to speak truth into somebody's life. 
You know, Jesus took advantage of the opportunity that he had. I mean, he, he obviously created the opportunity, but he, he came down to earth as a baby, which I'm sure, you know, who wants to go through that stage and go through growing up? You know, you're God, and you come down to the earth as a baby, and you, you live a perfect life knowing all you're going to do is die on a cross. People are going to reject you. People are going to hate you. Probably more people are going to reject you over eternity than are going to accept you. But Jesus loved us enough to come to this earth to die on a cross to create the opportunity for us to have salvation. And I think that the least we can do is take advantage of the opportunity that God has us to proclaim the name of Jesus, to do good to those, to, to speak truth into people's lives. I know it's not easy, but I want to encourage you to take the opportunity to bring up Jesus with the unsaved world and with the world that is inside the church here today and just leave the results up to God. Okay, let's pray and let's just ask God to help each of us to do that. God, I thank you for your awesome and powerful name. God, I know that we, we, I don't understand your name as well as I could. I know I don't appreciate your love as much as I should. God, I know that um, I don't, I, I could do a better job myself of bringing up the name of Jesus, of bringing up your words to situations. Oftentimes, it's, it's easy to say, I know what the Bible says, but someone may not take it well, especially somebody who, who's not a believer. And I just pray for each of us to have the courage and the boldness to say what needs to be said at the right time in the right place and, and to follow through those actions, God, that you are placing upon our hearts to do. I know this isn't easy, God, but you did so much for us. Please help us to, to to lift up the name of Jesus everywhere we go and trust you for the outcome. I pray for your help to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.